Thank you so much for checking out this video on One God from our One series. We are going to be looking at how there is only one God and, and what He's like and what that means uh, for us. But before we go any further, before we dive in to Acts 17 and then Ephesians 4 and then back to Acts 17, uh, let's pray together. God, we pray that you'll grant us wisdom. Wisdom to know what you intended to say, what you were saying, and what you are saying, so that we might become more like Christ and respond like Christ. May what we think, say, and do bring you glory and to make disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 17, uh, verse 23. Let's take a look here at this verse. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul had come in this passage of scripture uh, onto the Aragopagus, which was also part of Mars Hill uh, back there, and was basically sharing uh, about who this God is that they don't know. And uh, that was a big part of this culture and what they were doing. This passage of scripture where it talks about um, you worship something unknown, uh, the best way to kind of think of that is, is all the Stoics, all the Epicureans, a lot of the, the Roman citizens were going the wrong way on a one-way street. They were going the wrong way on a one-way one street. And you know how that turns out, right? There's terror and screaming. There's needless anxiety and danger. So all of these folks that had come to listen to Paul were heading in the wrong direction. So Paul was here to tell them about one, this one God, the only true God, and to help them to understand that. Uh, but you know what's worse about going down the wrong way on a one-way street other than terror, screaming, needless anxiety and danger? What's even worse is you don't even realize it. That you're just driving along, do 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 going and going and going and driving and driving and driving and you don't realize you're going the wrong way. That's extremely dangerous. You're not alert. You could be sideswiped. You could cause major, major problems. And Paul was coming to kind of help them and direct them and to see that they need to uh, sort of move out of this mindset of, of going down the wrong way on a one-way street. Which brings us to Ephesians 4. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 4. Sort of the, the foundational text uh, that we have today. Uh, and it's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is Christians global. It's all the Christians. Everyone who has confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Everyone who's called on the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. Those who have found forgiveness for their sins and live as Jesus as Lord, leader, and love. So this unity here, here's how Paul's kind of course correcting the Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, uh, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. So this basis of the text is where we kind of get the, the focus of what does it mean when and what is God intending and what is he saying when he says one God. Obviously, we're in the Roman Empire, multiple gods like, like there are today, multiple religions on the planet like there is today. A lot of people following their own direction and their own way. But here, uh, Paul clearly states to the Ephesians, look, there's only one God. There's only one God which leads to the one thing. And the one thing is this. The God of the Bible is the one true 
God. Nothing does or nothing can compare to the Father of Jesus Christ. There is but one God and he is found in the Christian faith and he's found in the holy sacred scriptures, the Bible. That's the God we're talking about. That's the one God. There, there are actually no other gods. It's not like God's in this eternal dodgeball battle where he's trying to win out over other gods that are of equal or greater value. There isn't. The rest, as scripture says, they're stone, gold, silver, parts of creation, uh, spiritual enemies of God trying to pose as God so that they can then take away from the one true God. But the one thing's very important for us to understand, that the God of the Bible is the one true God. There is nothing greater in this world, nothing more true and right and perfect for us to follow than this one God of the Bible, to dedicate our lives to, to get our instruction from, to follow after, to, to, to mimic and to model. So I want to set the context a little bit more that's found in Acts 17. So, so turn to that, find that, swipe to that, scroll to that as we look at Acts 17 and get a context of what's going on um, in Acts, specifically in Athens when Paul's trying to talk to them. Here, here's the problem. The early church, the, the, the world after Jesus' resurrection, struggled with this debate of multiple gods, different gods, one god. You know, how does all of this work? So Paul, in this passage, these passages in Acts 17, actually answers these questions. So let's just look at the context here and read some scriptures. So it'll be Acts 17, 16, 18, and 23. Now, while uh, Paul, now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Just like today, lots of idols in our world in which we live. Some of the Epicureans, which were people which were all about pleasure, that's the only thing that ruled, if it feels good, it's right, and the Stoic philosophers, which were non-feelings, all thinking, also conversed with Paul. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection, which is the gospel message summed up, which Paul was called to, and we talked about that last week in the one baptism uh, message. Then it goes on in verse 23. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. They were on street corners. People were wearing it around their necks and on their foreheads. They were, they were um, what do you call them, tourist attractions and different kinds of uh, souvenir shops that you could buy for all the gods you use and you'd buy them and they'd make your crop grow. Just all kinds of things like that. They were everywhere. And I observed your objects of worship and I found also an altar with this inscription. Here's the going the wrong way on the one-way one street. To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So what we're about to look at is Paul's response to all of these, not just sayings, but people living like there actually are more gods than what there really is. That the stone and the silver and the gold and the paper and the ambition and the promotion, that all of that was more important than what God is. So... We stay in Acts 17 and look at verses 23 through 31, which will then sort of unpack for us, uh, really, this is God. God thee. So let's just look here at verse uh, 23 through 31. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I, Paul, also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, and we've got to give people grace, because there are a lot of people out there, two out of every three, that don't know the true God of the Bible. They don't know 
the right father of Jesus. They don't even know Jesus as the son of God and the Holy Spirit. So we must give them grace and help them to understand that there is a true God out there. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. Very popular practice uh, back then. Verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands, Uh, As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men, as so many religions and things that we put our mind to are. But instead, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So what you're getting, a, a massive dose of amazing, incredible, super encouraging verses about who God is. Right, verse 24, God the creator of all, God the Lord of heaven and earth, giver of everything mankind needs, uh, made from one man every nation. Verse 26, verse 26 again, determiner of where, when, how long we live. It's what we talk about all the time. If you're going to move or go somewhere, pray and how, have God reveal to you whether you should actually go and what that is. And don't let finding a local church be the last thing you do, but put that as a top priority up there. Not only where you work, but also where you worship and where you live. Put all of that in there. Uh, But he's not done there. Verse 28, father of all people. Verse 31, judge. Verse 31, he's the way maker for forgiveness. I mean, these are incredible, incredible things to know about God. And and they also, their characteristics, they're a profile, if you will. They're a status of who God is. And in all of these verses, 23 through 31, one, Paul is just so clear. Look, there's there's one God, and it's not Zeus, it's not Athena, it's not Mars, it's it's none of those. The one true God is this, and it goes and it begins to talk about, and that's why he's trying to help them to that, and actually starts to set up a way in which they may get to him. That's what you see in Acts seventeen twenty seven. Because once you understand about the one true God, or, or even if you don't, if you're if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, and you're just like, man, I don't know about this God thing. Like, it doesn't seem right. Th- Look, that's okay. Because you need to ask those questions. Because in these verses, Paul gives us ways which we may know he's right and true. And that God is really the one true God. Look at verse uh, 27 here of Acts 17. That you should seek and perhaps... Uh, to seek God and perhaps feel um, their way towards God, towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from 
each one of us. Look, God has no desire to remain unknown and he does not deserve to be treated that way. You might be like, God and I is good, God and I is this. If you're not worshiping and following and serving and bringing about the glory of the God of the Bible, the Father of Jesus Christ, co-equal and co-eternal with the Holy Spirit, then, then you're not following Christianity. If you've not been saved by grace through faith, then, then you're not a Christian. And, and what we see here is the path in which we can follow to understand God. That's what verse 27 says um, right there, right? That, you sh- that we should, us, and when it says they, all of us should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each of us. God's not playing some sort of cosmic hide and seek. He's certainly not saying Marco Polo. You remember that game in the pool, right? You close your eyes. I guess you could even do it outside, but a pool seemed to be a little safer. But you'd be like, Marco, and then someone way in the distance of the pool would say, Polo, Marco, Polo, and you'd find them. But that's not God. God's not trying to hide from you. He's constantly revealing himself to you. He, he sent his son. He sends his Christian children to be salt and light, a city on a hill. He, God, is doing all the work to be found, and Christians are showing the way of how and where to look. So Christian, if you're watching this, your goal, your responsibility, your purpose is to show people where to look and how to find God. Sure, you're going to invite them to worship services. Yes, you're going to invite them to online services. You're going to have them over to your house. You're going to eat burgers and dogs together and, and spend time together. You're going to do fun things together. You're going to pray and weep and visit. You're going to do all those things together. And God's saying, look, my kids will point the way. It, in fact, if you know anything about where this is happening, this is happening on a hill. It's called Mars Hill. You can go there today. You, what you do is you come in and there's this nice pavement. You go up these stairs and this hill overlooks Athens. And he's standing up there and he's proclaiming this word to all these people. This is the one true God of the Bible. This is the one true God that nothing compares to. The Father of Jesus Christ who was died, who died and was resurrected by the power of of the same God so that others will find. So he says, for those who seek, that's a nod to the Stoics going, look, you're mental. You're all about being smart and wise and academic. You can seek him with your mind. Then he talks to even some of those who may feel their way to him, the Epicureans speaking to them going, look, who gave pleasure? We talk about this. God did. God made the things of this world pleasurable. He gave us the ability to encounter them and, and experience them so that we may find our way towards them. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verses um, 30 and 31. Let's read those together. So now Paul is saying this to people. Look, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, this is Jesus, whom he has appointed, Jesus Christ, and has given the assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So how do we know we can be saved by the wrath that is to come? How do we know that we don't have to let the consequences of our poor thinking, choices, and sayings affect us forever in eternity? And how can we find redemption and forgiveness and move through those in this life? It's in and through Jesus Christ. Verse 30 even talks about that. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says this, um, in the times of repentance that people everywhere would repent. You know, you know what that word repent means? It means just simply to turn. Like um, we, we say a lot, like we walk out of the house, go, oh man, I forgot something. We leave our work cubicle, oh man, I forgot something. And then we what? We turn and we go back. We turn away from the direction we're going. That's what repent means. For all people to turn to God, to make that turn of the life page. So, Because you, you, you've done it before, 
you went out and you got your driver's license, you graduated high school, you've moved forward and got a job or your GED, you went to college or went right into a great trade and started working and, and, and you've moved into that. You've even moved into poor choices where you made decisions you regret and you carry the wounds and the scars around with you. All of that in there. God is calling for his people to repent and turn to him. Turn away from the other fake gods. Turn away from those things which will not fulfill you will not meet your deepest needs and desires, but instead dive into, immerse yourself into God. Why? Because here's what's coming. A righteous judgment is coming to all of us. And God has made Jesus the only way of salvation for the forgiveness of our sins. Someday, one day, all your days are going to be over. And maybe Jesus comes back and, and you know, it's, it's like the book of Revelation says, or, or maybe you just, you die. And you're in eternity. And you, we're all going to be before God and every idle word that we said, what we did or didn't do, all that's going to be judged by God. And for the Christians who are, are saved, we, we have Jesus' willful sacrifice that was in our place that substituted for us because we couldn't pay it. Jesus will stand before them and say, like, I paid that price. I've covered that penalty and that wage. Every Christian can come in and enter into heaven. But for those who aren't, those who don't follow the one true God of the Bible, those who don't move forward in God's grace, they are the ones who will then suffer. They will not enter in. They will not live um, a, a life that is that God desires for them now. They'll always be working and pushing against God. And Paul's trying to give them a warning in verse 31. That's why he says it. Look at verse 31. Um, because God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, this Jesus. So there's coming a day where all of us will be judged. All of us. Nobody gets off scot-free. And, and that should encourage you and, and, and probably, you know, give you concern a little. Because if anyone's done anything bad to you, they're not going to get away with it. Not forever. Eventually we all have to. I, I know that. Any harm that I may have done, any ill word I may have spoken... That is not going to go unnoticed by God. And your pain and your suffering isn't going to go unnoticed by God either. So the focus is then what for me? How do I escape that? I, I can't. I don't have to work my way through. I don't have to do 10 things to make, make it better for me. I just simply submit myself to Jesus Christ and be saved, confess my sins, and ask Jesus to be Lord, leader, and love of my life, to confess that he is the Son of God and to find salvation and live for it. That's my encouragement to you if you're not a Christian and you're watching this. And if you are a Christian, you've kind of hit the pause button on your faith, unpause it. Unpause it. Start living for the Lord. Let me remind you about this one thing. Remind you about this one thing. There is only one God, and the God of the Bible is the one true God. There is no other God that can save you other than the Father of Jesus Christ. He provides for you the free gift of grace for you to be saved by grace through faith. So my encouragement to you is don't wait for today to get saved. Do it right now. Do it right now. Let's pray. God, we pray for those who realized like the Epicureans and the Stoics on top of Mars Hill in Athens, they were worshiping and going the, the wrong way on a one-way street. And I pray right now, Lord, that, that they will just confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. 
that they'll realize, Lord, that you so love the world, you sent your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. None of us gets to escape the one true God because he's the only one. None of the other gods, none of the other religions, none of the other things are going to be there judging us. It's, it's the Christian God of the Bible. And I pray, Lord, that you will save their souls. And I, I know if they pray in earnest that you will. I know if they seek your grace to be saved by grace through faith, through no works of their own, that you will save them. So we pray for you who are listening to this, who is not a Christian. Stop waiting and putting it off. Don't wait till you have kids or your kids are grown or you get married or get that job or promotion or get your work life in order because you'll never have it in perfect order, ever. You can only find true joy and contentment in God anyways. So be safe today. And Christian, I pray that each of us would just unpause our lives and begin to live for God and realize there is one true God and to help people to know that. Like Paul, to go to wherever we go and help people to see that there is one God out there. So God, we pray you'll use us and encourage us so that we might bring about your glory, so that we might help others know that they are heading the wrong way and to help them to come back. We all know that life isn't always easy when we serve the Lord, but it is always better. Might we introduce strength and joy and discipline and love and care into the life of others. May we live like you're the one true God because you are. May we please you and bring you glory and make disciples. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great and wonderful rest of the day.